0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures, a five-generation Georgia-based beef and poultry farm determined to conduct business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: In your fantasies, where would you expect to find ancient food? Rome, perhaps? We're going to talk about that today on A Taste of the Past. <laughs> And welcome to a taste of the past. I'm your host Linda Palaccio. and when we travel, I I, I don't think we expect to get ancient food. But I think people go to Italy, particularly Rome, uh, and expect to to find some of the classic dishes. Uh, you know, the spaghetti and the and and the uh, the old mama joints, the trattorias, and the and. Uh, Places like that, in which have over the years changed. And in fact, um, I, for one, have been a little disconcerted that I couldn't find some of the classic food, and classic meaning over the past 50 years, let's say. And everything seemed to be pretty much the same stuff as I could get in New York. It was you know, innovative food, for sure, new cuisine, but I wasn't tasting an essence of something truly Roman. Well, today I have with me a guest who's telling me some things are changing. It's Katie Parla. And Katie is a food historian and a food writer living in Rome. She's been in Rome for 10 years, right? And she is the founder of Parla Food and the author of the app Katie Parla's Rome. She also has a new one on Istanbul, if I'm not That's correct. mistaken. right? Katie writes about the Roman food, wine, and beer scene, and she does have the credentials to go with it. She has a... A Sommelier Certificate from the Federazione Italiana Sommelier Albergatori Ristoratori. Whoa, don't make me say that again. (laughs) And a Master's Degree in Italian Gastronomic Culture from the Università degli Studi di Roma, Tor Vergata, as well as an Art History Degree from Yale. Additionally, she is the Editor-in-Chief of a new website called the Rome Digest, Created by five female food and beverage professionals dedicated to promoting good food and beverage culture in Rome. Katie, you have written many books, contributed to many books, and and um, edited quite a few, as well as as uh, the New York Times. Art, writing articles for the New York Times, Condé Nast Traveler, sever The Atlantic. I did see something in The Atlantic from you. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. And I'm glad you're here in New York getting a little taste of our food. Hopefully you're not going to too many Italian restaurants. but <laughs> I'm going to exclusively Italian restaurants. Oh, no. <laughs> it's part of my research. <laughs> do, okay, doing a comparison, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's not really fair. We do, you know, it's it's interpretation, of course. But tell me, you know, the reason that I, um, I was so interested in having you come on to the show is because you have been writing a little about some of the chefs in Rome, who are actually looking for innovation from ancient and medieval texts? Tell me a little bit about what, what, how this all came about, and you were. And tell me about what the navel gazing, as you say, was was happening with Roman chefs.
3: I think this navel gazing is still going on in in a lot of uh, senses. In Rome, you have a group of, of cooks and chefs who doesn't they don't travel very much, so they're not influenced by what's going on. Um, even across the street, much less across the Atlantic, or <laughs> Those poor chefs don't have time. <laughs> um, well, uh, indeed, in Italy there still are holidays, so um, people instead are, are driven by nostalgia, both in their cuisine as well as in their holiday planning. Um, so, while, for example, like many of my chef friends will travel to Asia during the summer in order to be influenced by what's going on in different cuisines, um, I think in general chefs in 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 Rome and or to some extent in Italy, don't travel, and so they're looking at what they've already done um, which can sometimes have fantastic. Effects, um, And I'm thinking in particular about a chef called Arcangelo Dandini. His restaurant, L'Arcangelo is uh, just a few blocks from the Vatican. Um, and he studies uh, Bartolomeo Scopi's texts and recipes for the influence. Opera, the opera di Bartolomeo. <laughs> Bartolomeo, yes. <laughs> and his menu, um, while certainly dominated by Roman classics like carbonara, um, also looks to what perhaps the original recipes for dishes like that could have been. Um, So I'll give you uh, I'll give you an example. Carbonara, which in Rome is made from cured pork jowl, egg, pecorino romano and uh, black pepper, probably would not have included pepper in its original incarnation. Hmm. It it was a peasant dish. Um, Black pepper was was simply too expensive for peasants. And consequently, the original dish of which we have no trace likely excluded it. And so his carbonara um, is made without without pepper.
2: And it's interesting that he had, that he did track that back because there's so much folklore. That dish in particular, there's so much folklore surrounding that dish, uh, where it first came from, who came. But it is it is declared to be a Roman dish.
3: Well, the Neapolitans claim it too. <laughs> ah,
2: <okay. laughs> there's always going to be an argument sure. about the exact
3: origins, but. Um, you know, this is, this is one of the more difficult recipes to trace, indeed, because mm-hmm. it's a 20th century recipe by all accounts. Much easier to trace are Renaissance recipes, which is where Scappi comes in. And when Dandini serves um, foie gras, he is evoking um, uh, elements from, from Scappi's opera. Um, when he's producing um, artichokes served with cane sugar he's attempting to turn what was a peasant dish into something noble with the introduce with the introduction of sugar which was in, in a sense treated as a spice mm-hmm.
2: indeed and it was it was expensive it was new and you showed your your position in wealth if you incorporated that in, in any of your chef incorporated that in any of the cooking. Absolutely. Um, and just so our listeners know that Bartolomeo Scappi's work was, um, done in around in the 16th century. Exactly. It was published in 1570.
3: Right. Right. And contained about a thousand recipes. Um, Archangel hasn't plowed through all of them quite yet, (laughs) nor does he copy recipes exactly, but he he transforms them into something that is appropriate for his audience, which is a noble Roman crowd and rather wealthy travelers. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, the the place is quite elegant. Um, uh, it is a restaurante, um, though it's not utterly formal. It certainly is a bit posher than your local
2: trattoria. Now, you mentioned that I think he is the chef, too, who keeps... Uh maestro martino and apicius keeps all those on his on his shelf as well right without
3: a doubt when you enter the restaurant uh there's a bookshelf um full with full of these volumes which he has bookmarked and all sorts of post-it notes and things sticking out of them so as someone who is from the provincia di roma not far from rome um he really does feel like the roman cuisine needs to look back to its original roots it has transformed in the past decade in particular and when I write, I focus mainly on 21st century Roman food culture, and um, it's thrilling that one of the elements of this is looking back to the past rather than attempting to do something modern but failing because of that lack of travel, because of the
2: lack of sort of intellectual right. stimulation. And incorporating that into our newer ingredients. And It's interesting because um, I'm sure farming, the, the changes and in innovations in farming, has changed some of the produce, some of the product, and the, and, and the meats Absolutely. too are Definitely. a little different than what, I mean, obviously they're different than than from those days, certainly from the ancient texts, but from the medieval and, and Renaissance texts, yes. Sure, and of course, Italy is not
3: um, not immune to monoculture, and so yes. when it does come to produce in particular. Um, we're seeing fewer and fewer varieties are available. Um, there is something changing um, when it comes to grains, and there are several places in Rome that are run by a baker, or at least consulted um, by the baker, Gabriele Bonci, um, who works with a mill in Piedmont, um, they um uh, work with farmers to cultivate, to cultivate heritage grains um and he trans bonchi transforms these grains into bread and pizza base um all sorts of rolls and buns and things for his endeavors which include a pizza by the slice joint um a couple of wine uh, a couple of craft beer pubs and
2: I mean he does and he he doesn't he solely sell uh, Pizza Tagliata or Pizza by the Slice? Pizzarium is, he- is,
3: uh, is his Pizza al Taglio place, his mm-hmm. Pizza by the Slice place. But in November, he opened Panificio Bonci, um, which is in the same neighborhood. He also consults for Noao or perhaps even owns part of it and uh, work, consults for the um, Open Baladine kitchen. Open Baladine is this fantastic Italian craft beer bar owned by del Borgo and Baladine, who both brewers themselves look to heritage grains in order to create beer, that evokes history. Um, I'm thinking of Nora, um, which is Balladine's sort of Egyptian-inspired beer that uses um, kamut and resin um, in a uh, an homage to Egyptian beer production, which of course predates hops.
2: Yeah, so interesting. Kamut, I mean, we, we're just hearing about that ancient grain coming back and being available and, and used in, in different uh, recipes. Um, back to Banchi, I mean, for people who don't know or maybe haven't traveled to Rome or are going to Rome, you should know this man. Tell us a little more about his his whole pizza um, education courses and endeavors. Gabriele Bonci is uh,
3: called the Michelangelo of pizza, and he was a chef who in 2004 wanted to open his own place, but because the commercial rents were too high, couldn't afford it, so he opened a pizza by the slice place, which is... A whopping 270 square feet in the area, <laughs> and he makes gourmet dishes and essentially uses the pizza base as a vehicle for serving them. And he, um, several years ago, started doing pizza courses, which are open to the public and very so popular. They're, yeah, they're very popular. He does a bread course and a pizza course every month um, in Rome, and then travels all over all over Italy and even all over the world now. His um, first book, Il Gioco della Pizza, um, came out in Italian last year, and will be out in English um, translation in the fall. Oh, terrific. Yeah. Great.
2: Did you help out on that at all? I sampled lots of pizzas. Ah, okay. <laughs> That's very important, yes. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I was intrigued by, um, I've heard a lot about him in the past couple of years, and so, you know, reading about the work that he's doing, it's it was very intriguing that, that he would dare, you know, to alter, you know, recipes at all and try new substances to make pizza. Well, yeah, the... In, in a sense, he's doing what a lot, of, a lot of the more successful
3: 21st century chefs and cooks in Rome are doing, which is taking an accepted form and improving its ingredients. Um, this is happening not just at Pizzarium, um, but also at Sforno and Tonda, which mm-hmm. are pizza joints where you actually sit down. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bongi is, you know, it's, he's so important not just because of the good food culture that he promotes, but also because of the um, awareness that he's raising for grain. Um, Einkorn wheat or endiir, which he uses in his in his uh, bases, um, has seen a huge rise in in consumption as baking has become cool amongst uh, people in in Rome
2: again. Yeah, well, where else to use ancient grains but in ancient Rome? I Absolutely,
3: right. And an ancient or beer inspired by ancient recipes. Yeah, now <laughs> the
2: beer. well I, that's I want to I want to talk about the beer a little bit because I have to say that it's only probably in the past twenty years that beer has really gone on the rise in in rome that beer Correct. was never never their primary beverage and although no actually that's not true there it was a, a primary beverage in, in many ways but it wasn't uh wasn't that good that's true I mean, <laughs> there were like three varieties and they were <laughs> none none of them were really that good but so tell me tell me about some of the innovations well, that are happening with beer, the Biro del borgo that you you were talking yeah, about yeah birro del borgo is a,
3: a A brewery based um, northeast of Rome um, and was established um, by a very history-driven brewer. Um, And Birra del Borgo has created a series of beers that look to the past for inspiration. I mean, beer has been produced in Italy for thousands of years. Um, The Etruscans um, brewed beer. And one of the newer beers from Birra del Borgo actually uses um, uh, what... Sort of as an inspired Etruscan recipe, not verbatim, but um, saragala, grain, hazelnuts, honey, resin, and raisins go into their archaeo beer. Sounds more like a sparkling mead than a <laughs> <I, laughs> beer. Sounds delicious. But anyway. And the fabulous thing is, in Italy, there aren't laws dictating what you can call beer. beer. And oh. so you're very free to use ingredients that you want and be inspired by ancient um, traditions or n- brand new innovations. And all this, um, the ingredients that I
2: listed, are combined with water and fermented in terracotta amphorae. Oh, terrific! Yeah, so they're really using old techniques. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I mean, uh, do the um, do the beer amphora are they any different than the wine? You know, the the are they larger, smaller? I don't know different they, shape, I don't know narrower they, um, at the top
3: or. You know? I don't know if they compare to like a or,
2: or something. I'm not sure of the volume if it's exactly the same. Hmm. Interesting for the fermentation and then get that going in there i guess it would it's possible the, the same, same. yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: i don't believe that there are that many terracotta amphorae producers for wines and and um and beers so i mean perhaps they're sort of limited to the what's available hmm.
2: interesting well, well we're going to talk more about these innovations coming from ancient texts when we come back after a short break
1: You're listening to R&R by Peels on the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Stay tuned for more Taste of the Past.
2: Red Oak Pastures is the only farm in the United States that has its own USDA inspected red meat abattoir or slaughterhouse and its own USDA inspected poultry abattoir or slaughterhouse. We partner with Whole Foods to deliver our high quality meat and poultry from Miami, Florida all the way to Princeton, New Jersey. One family, one farm, five generations, 145 years full circle return to sustainable land stewardship and humane animal stockmanship. For more information, please visit our website
1: whiteoakpastures.com
2: We are back on A Taste of the Past, and I'm talking with Katie Parla, Katie, the a food writer um, living in Rome. And Katie, you have a very interesting app. It's a sort of a, a travel and dining app for going to Rome. Tell them, tell me a little bit about that.
3: The app is called Katie Parla's Rome, and it's essentially a curated uh, list of venues for dining, drinking, and shopping for food. Um, it's the Rome that I see. It's this 21st century transformed Roman food culture um, in which there really has been a decay in quality that needs to be confronted. And so I focus on the people that are making great food, serving great drinks, and selling wonderful ingredients.
2: Now, do you direct your attention and who you write for in a particular, uh, to anyone in particular? You are young, so I wondered: did you, I mean, (laughs) anyone (laughs) anyone under the age of as young to me. No, I wondered if you geared this towards, the younger traveler, or was there a particular group who you were targeting? That's a good question. I probably should have thought about who I was writing for
3: while I was writing. But I think, <laughs> I think in general when I write, I write for chefs, I write for food professionals, I write for people who understand the nuances of flavor and the complexities of producing um, dishes. Um, and so when I was sort of vetting um, various uh, venues... It was with my food professional friends, my sommelier friends, that we were exploring these places. And so I think that's probably who I sort of had in the back of my mind when
2: I was writing. And that's important to know, too, because, you know, when I travel, I don't necessarily just want to go to the top Michelin-starred restaurant. I want to go to something that's interesting that's going to speak of the culture of the time that's what's happening right now
3: absolutely and that's
2: so that I can get that right
3: yeah definitely and I mean as much as I love the publications that I write for you know I'm really limited about what I can write about when I'm writing for large publishers they don't want to know about the most interesting places in the Roman periphery but with my own app I have the freedom to really put the focus on people that are doing amazing things but Mm -hmm. might not
2: otherwise have attention yeah, I I was very impressed um, speaking with Darina Allen. She was in from um, Ireland the other day, and we did an interview. And she she could have used, you know, an app like that for here, but she went, she gathered so much information from all her friends here in um, New York City and area, and she was going to the outskirts, the furthest outskirts of places she could find because she wanted to see what was happening. She wanted to taste the innovation and I think she, I think she had a real, terrific experience and a real eye opener. So, this is what we can expect to get if we follow some of these, yeah, absolutely. Areas yeah, I'm your- not confined to the the borders of Rome as publishers see them. So if We don't stay in the in the old historic center of town. You
3: know, I wish that there were like 50 great places in histor- in the historical center to recommend, but they're just plain aren't. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to include them. Um, so, yeah, you'll be going out at the center. I include transport information. And Rome's really small. I mean, it's not London or Paris. It's it's actually really quite easy to navigate with public transport. So right, right. So pretty easy.
2: Oh, that's, I mean, certainly, they, um, the publications, the other publications you write for, there's a place for all those other recommendations because – Look, someone who's never traveled to Rome before—they're going to want to stay in the Centro Storico, the historic district. They're going to want to see the sites and the monuments. So that's important Definitely. for them to have to have recommendations. There. Yeah. But for seasoned people who've been there before, or who are solely interested in the food world, yeah, that's good. Interesting. Where we were talking when we before the break about ancient grains and and a lot of this innovation that some of the chefs are are coming. I mean, it's interesting to see that it's. It's crossing the borders and it's happening everywhere. And you know, the world is a small place now with instant communication. So many people are interested in in a lot of the new. Uh, well, I think the theme lately for my show is everything old is new again. But and certainly you are con- you are confirming this with the fact that the chefs are looking to these ancient texts and, and these um, uh, medieval writings. That um, they're looking to the old to find out where did it all come from? How did it all start? You mentioned a woman who was doing something very interesting. Tell me about that.
3: Yeah, there's a fantastic gelataya called Marenes Españolo. An ice
2: cream shop, a gelataya.
3: She's got a fantastic, um, well, she's got now five gelato shops, (laughs) in (laughs) fact. The newest one just opened near the Spanish Steps. But she started um, near the Villada, so not in the center of Rome. And she began serving gluten-free ice cream, which doesn't sound like revolutionary per se. But in Rome, it's really rare to find gelato without chemical additives. Hmm. And many of the gelato bases that go into, like, 99% of the gelato, Um, have some sort of like glutinous content so she was interested in making a really clean genuine product that could be consumed that would be healthy Um, and uh, when she's producing her flavor she really she imposes her sort of own whimsy onto these uh, onto these flavors so you really get a sense of who she is by all these creative combinations her most famous um, gelato is probably uh, Kentucky which is chocolate mixed with um, tobacco leaves, um, but she also does something called dukkha, which is what she calls Egyptian Nutella, and it's a paste of hazelnut, sesame seeds, cumin, and coriander. Oh,
2: interesting! Um,
3: she also does a sorbet made with um, fennel, honey, and licorice, which she says is inspired by the forty-fourth verse of the Kama Sutra. Um, <laughs> and uh, and she's very interesting. Unlikely in, text to, to, <laughs> to refer to <laughs> but, for food, but <laughs> she has, I occasionally see a few like aphrodisiac oriented gelatos in Rome, which is sort of weird, but. Um, but it exists. Um, and then she looks to Aztec chocolate recipes and, mm-hmm. and things like this in order to uh, to create new variations on chocolate. I mean, chocolate's a, such a Roman flavor. Um, every place serves it, but she does, you know, the chocolate with tobacco, the chocolate with Jamaican pepper, um, and then about a, 30 other varieties.
2: Well, you were describing the um, the pastes, the sweet pastes, that she would um, bring down the essence of, of whatever she was working with to get that flavor. And it, that is, I mean, that truly is ancient and, and very Middle Eastern as well. Absolutely. So it, uh, interesting to try. That would, that sounds terrific. Tell me, are there any um, ancient ingredients? You talked about the cane sugar and artichokes that um, Dandini was using and, and creating a dish sure. with that. Um, anything else that might be unusual that we're finding? Does he like, make his own uh Licumen or garum or, or Ah so he
3: know. he gets garum from a guy on the amalfi coast called Pasquale
2: Pasquale Torrente. Of course, because those are the best those are the best um, anchovies. Of course in the, the world, anchovies right? from, <laughs> from Cetara are yeah. are uh, amazing.
3: So Pasquale Torrente and others in the south of Italy are producing garum and um, and some chefs in Rome are using it. And Dandini serves his garum with um, almond brittle. Which is a really unlikely combination, but really fantastic. Uh, sort of uh, sweet and the salty, huh? <laughs> yeah, and like sort of fishy and crunchy, and it's 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 really amazing. And if, he anyone has it ever, a if anyone if <laughs> anyone has
2: ever smelled any fish sauce or garum uh, fermenting in the process it is not a pretty smell. So. No. It and, should be used in small quantities. Yeah, to, to think of that being used on a on a brittle, a candy, I guess that's great. It would be the sweet and the salty. Yeah, yeah
3: I but I mean, it's, it's really, really interesting, and he serves it as part of his starter called Suplizio, um, which has a potato croquette, And soupli. And soupli are absolutely ubiquitous in Rome. You can find them, they're usually frozen and thrown in the fryer and cooked badly at every single pizza. Al telefono
2: or plain?
3: Um, Most of them would be al telefono if they were properly cooked. Al Mm telefono meaning that when the uh, mozzarella melts and is fried, it sort of Um, melt into a huge string as you bite it like Um, a telephone telephone cord but uh but you know back in the day before the sort of industrial soupli production people didn't just put meat in the sauce that they mixed with rice to make their soupli filling they used chicken gizzards Mm. and so his looks back to the like pre-1950s recipe um this uh chicken gizzard rice mozzarella um compacted rice ball that sounds delicious fried, sounds great. it's yeah. it's unbelievable so definitely uh sure it makes
2: sense that they would be using all the parts of the animal and this was a and you know sp- and making it go further with the rice it was a means of of making the food go further sure. too so it was an you know, economical just the flavor kind of i mean mm-hmm. it provides extra energy it's really yeah. fantastic yeah, just a little a little bit of that that sounds wonderfully intriguing um uh, the grains, the ancient grains. So much, is, as I said before, has been happening with ancient grains. Um, so do you know, are there many other chefs who are um, employing these ancient grains in the bread other than uh, banshee as far as the pizza? Um, do yes, you know of anyone yeah, who's absolutely. using it? Absolutely. So bread
3: at, at, uh, at Metamorphose, um, which is a Michelin star restaurant in, in Rome, in Parioli, um, the sous-chef, John Regifalk, is making all sorts of uh, fantastic breads using um, special rice, he works with flowers from all over Italy and from all over the world, even um, when friends travel abroad they 'll bring back smoked flour from the canary islands and and he'll use these. Really small production flowers made at tiny mills for
2: for producing his bread. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, tell me, tell our listeners the name of your app that they can download on their smartphones if they want.
3: The Rome app is called Katie Parla's
2: Rome. Katie Parla's Rome. They uh, we'll Istanbul have that up is, on the Katie on the- Parla's Istanbul okay i'm sorry
3: the istanbul app is okay oh, the-
2: katie pearl is istanbul Katie okay istanbul <laughs> we're not talking about istanbul no <laughs> no istanbul is wonderfully intriguing but we have to do a whole other show yes, on that right naturally. that's a that's another one well i i look forward to seeing the app and perhaps downloading it and using it myself I hope you get to use it hope i can make that trip soon it's been a pleasure to talk to you and good luck with your writing and hopefully uh The economy will pick up and more people will be going out to these restaurants. I hope so. We'll see what happens. (laughs) Keep them alive. That's right. Thanks, Linda. All right. Thank you so much. This has been Linda Palaccio on A Taste of the Past.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network